This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we finally get some whales landing in free agency for different teams. Matt Beers leaving Vancouver for Saskatchewan was one of the biggest surprises. He'll join us to tell us about the move. Plus, Thomas Woody captained the Athletics to an OJLL title and a big glass of milk. All that more on OTCB. My name is Teddy Jenner and welcome back for another year of National Lacrosse League Action. Matthews, quick stick. Are you kidding me? Why Dylan Ward? I don't believe what I just saw. That's the save of the year right there. Oh, wow. Claire right down the middle, shoots and he scores! of the Off the Crossbar podcast brought to you by the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network where you can hear it on Spotify, iTunes and wherever you get your streaming music. My name is Teddy Jenner. Once called Husky, maybe that was because I ate a lot of garbage plates and dinosaur barbecue. Didn't work out a whole lot when I was in my first years in league. We'll get into that. Um, If you want Email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Um, find me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar. Instagram, OTCB Podcast. Let me know what's up. Uh, we have the draft coming up very soon. Hall of Fame coming up very soon. We'll get into that. Uh, Matt Beers will join us. Now of the Saskatchewan Rush. And Thomas Woody. Captain of the St. Catharines Athletics and going into his second year in the NLL with the Rochester Nighthawks will stop by as well as it was just an all-around incredible weekend of lacrosse on both sides of the border. You had uh, the BCJ Island final went down in uh, a beauty of a game. There was the Junior Showcase out here in BC. You had U.S. Box of Nationals going on, MSL Classic. And, of course, the OJLL Finals were going on. And with no PLL happening south of the border, really, every GM in the National Lacrosse League and every fan of lacrosse was able to tune in and watch the indoor game with the current and future stars absolutely balling out. If you didn't see any of it, um, most of it is all archived either on YouTube or bcsports.tv or ncbs.tv. You can literally go back and watch any of those games from the collegiate championships to any of the Canadian summer showcases or games or classics or whatever was going on because as we get towards the draft at the end of this month all the kids that are have been playing over the past month and a half have really been thrown to the fire because there weren't a lot of practices leading up there wasn't a lot of time to prepare you'd been off for 15 months or whatever it was And you were asked to go from zero to a hundred at the blink of an eye. And these kids didn't waver. They didn't complain. They didn't bat an eye. They just said, when, where, how fast do you want me to run? 
and it has been wonderful to see. And as someone that will be, you know, watching a lot of these kids very closely to see what they can bring to the National Lacrosse League, getting ready for the draft and where they might go and talking to teams and who might take who. I haven't really heard a negative review about anyone, at least like a scathing negative review. There are a few players that have seen their games really excel and their draft stock really rise. There's probably a few people whose draft stock maybe dropped a little. But for the most part, nobody has looked terrible. The majority of the kids of all ages that are playing this summer looked awesome. And it just goes to show their dedication to their craft in the fact that they didn't just sit at home, get lazy, drinking the beers, playing the Call of Duties, watching the Netflixes, you know, just being a bum. None of these kids did that. They balanced school, life, work, and lacrosse all at the same time and made sure that if and when this moment came, they would be ready. And watching the BC playoffs out here, just what some of these guys are doing is phenomenal. Um, and then all across Canada and all throughout the United States, um, anytime I watched a high-level box game, I was thoroughly impressed. So, again, shout out to, you know, everybody involved with the BC Junior League, the Ontario Junior League, um, U.S. Boxla. What these people have done in a short amount of time is nothing short of remarkable. And they all deserve a massive round of applause for the efforts and time they put in to make this happen. Because it's not easy. There's no way it was easy. So, huge shout out to everybody um, for getting these kids out on the floor, giving us fans a chance to watch. And I'm kind of sad it's almost over. You know what I mean? I think we all are. But we have the draft to look forward to and the Hall of Fame to look forward to. There's still guys in free agency that are available. Um, but for those of you that missed the announcement on Tuesday, the National Lacrosse League letting us all know that the Hall of Fame and NLL Draft will be on the same weekend in Buffalo on the 27th and 28th of this month. The Hall of Fame dinner will be Friday night where eight players and two officials will get their just call to the hall. And then on Saturday night... A whole bunch of kids will wait in anticipation to see if their lifelong dreams have come true to get drafted into the National Lacrosse League. Myself, Pat Gregoire, Devin Caney will be on the main desk for the draft. Steven Stamp will be at his big board draft board breaking things down. And then we'll have Ashley Docking and Tabitha Turner out on the draft floor talking to players, coaches, GMs, see what the vibe is down on the floor. Um, it's going to be phenomenal. You know, last year we did the draft virtually. It was a whole lot different. Um, but this year we'll be there live and in person. And hopefully uh, the border restrictions lift so those kids in Ontario and, and in Canada can get across the border easily enough to get down to Buffalo for the draft. Because let me tell you, I didn't know this. And maybe people will say, oh, because it's so close. But there is not a direct flight from Toronto to Buffalo. So I have to go Victoria, Toronto. Toronto, O'Hare. O'Hare, Buffalo. And then on the way back, it's Buffalo, Newark. Newark, Montreal. Montreal, Victoria. So it's not going to be easy for people outside of Ontario in Canada to get to Buffalo. Especially if they can't drive across the border. But fingers crossed that that is going to get lifted and those people will be able to make the quick jaunt down the QEW, across the bridge, and into Buffalo for this weekend. And the discussion will, will continue to be up until draft day. What does PCLC do with that number one pick? 
Do they keep it? Do they trade it? Those are really the two options. Literally, the only two options. And we'll just have to wait and see. Because much like last year, and maybe even more so, the amount of kids in the first round that are going back to college for that fifth year is really going to affect this draft. Because if a team can wait for a player, then that's awesome. They can draft a guy that's going back to school, they can wait for him to be done and use him next year. But if a team is in a position where they cannot wait, how much of a jump do they make to pass on a top-end player for a guy that's available to them right away. And that will be the biggest question. Can you wait or can't you? And if you can't wait, how much of a jump do you make to get a guy that's available now? It'll be very interesting. As mentioned, the Hall of Fame goes the night before. Uh, I am truly honored to be emceeing the event. Um, that was sort of my era of playing in the National Lacrosse League, all the guys that are being inducted. And I played with half of them, despised the other half, but absolutely loved all of their games. And when I say despised, it's only because they were my enemies. At the end of the day, we're all brothers in the lacrosse world, and... I love them all. I'm super thrilled for them all. I'm, I cannot wait to be a part of this event um, in Buffalo uh, for the Hall of Fame dinner. It is going to be phenomenal. Um, the draft will be on streamed online on tsn.ca. Uh, we will be doing the first two rounds. Um, the subsequent rounds will be basically social media posts. Um, there's hope that ESPN Plus, I believe, uh, will be the provider for those in the United States. And fingers crossed that the Hall of Fame ceremony will get streamed somehow um, on both those networks. So stay tuned, but that's still two weeks away. But um, that is where we are headed. Uh, free agency, as mentioned, it, it, it kind of got off to a slow start. But over the past few days we've started to see some names move. And the two biggest guys and names that are on the move, one we kind of expected, and that was Dan Coates. After rejecting the franchise tag with Georgia, we all saw the writing on the wall and figured he would be on the move. And with him being in Buffalo because he's helping out with the Canisius program, it made sense for him to be in the Golden Horseshoe Triangle area of Rochester, Buffalo, Toronto. You could even throw Albany in there. But somewhere in that corridor. There was rumors that Panther City was going after him. Uh, rumors that San Diego were trying to land him. But at the end of the day, it was the Rochester Nighthawks who were able to sign him to a two-year deal. And I think it's a great spot for him. Obviously, he and Dan Carey have a relationship going back to their days with the Colorado Mammoth. Being in Buffalo, it's a quick hour drive. And it is a young team, a young defense that needs some more character and veteran leadership. And that's exactly what Dan Coates brings. Uh, still one of the best defenders in the National Lacrosse League right now. He will be a major boost to that back end that a year and a half ago, two years ago, um, had one of the worst goals against averages in the National Lacrosse League and desperately needed some help on the back end. The other big name was Matt Beers. And this one, I think, came to a shock to pretty much everybody because he was the Warriors captain. He'd been with the franchise his entire career, dating back to 2010 when they were the Washington Stealth and they won a championship in their first year. Uh, he literally was the Vancouver Warriors. The only guy remaining on that team in 2010 still with the organization as a player. Fans loved him. He was the captain. He was the heart and soul of everything in the locker room, on the floor, in the community. But obviously, he and Dan Richardson could not come to an agreement on a deal which allowed Matt to go shopping. 
And by all reports and in talking to people, there were three teams in the hunt for his services. San Diego, Colorado, and Saskatchewan. And safe to say all three backed the truck up for Beersy. Whatever you want, we'll give it to you. And at the end of the day, um, Matt will give you his answer in our conversation. But I think one of the biggest reasons he makes this decision is because it's a team in Canada. And it's easier travel to and from for home games, uh, easier to get for practices, and it's just a little shorter commute time. And, you know, it's, it's not as hard for him to put his wife and two kids on a plane and go to games in Saskatchewan as it would be to take them all to San Diego or Colorado. It doesn't help that Saskatchewan's starting to build a bit of a beast on the back end once again, or sorry, um, retool their back end monster. Um, so we go into it. But I have always been a huge fan of Matt Beers' game. I thought by now he might have won a Defensive Player of the Year award. Um, but he is going to be just another cog into the talented, ferocious, and fast defense that is the Saskatchewan Rush. He's an NLL champion, an all-star, and a member of Team Canada. This is Matt Beers right here on the OTCB Podcast. Joined now by the newest member of the Saskatchewan Rush, who are building quite a defensive dynasty once again. Matt Beers. Beers, how are you, brother? Great. How are you, Teddy? Uh, I cannot complain. Uh, how's the family doing? It continues to grow over there for you. Yeah, you know, the kids are uh, the kids are getting a little bit older. Um, it's been a great time away from sport. I kind of enjoy, you know, them growing up at a young age and kind of seeing everything that they're going through right now. And uh, I think we're all excited to get lacrosse season back underway. Um, and I think they're going to be old enough where they get to be a part of it, which is great. How, how old are they now? Um, my son turned four and my daughter's turning three soon. Ah, oh, and they're just probably running around the house, keeping you in shape. Craziness. Hell yeah. <laughs> um, obviously the big news for you, uh, changing teams for the first time in your national cross league career, joining the Saskatchewan rush in free agency. Um, how did the conversation go with, with Derek Keenan when that process was, was being underdone? Uh, when I finally got to talk to Derek, uh, he was, he was great to talk to. Obviously, we battled against each other a lot uh, with him coaching Saskatchewan, and we usually see him at least three times a year, it seems like. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, he, I feel like we knew each other professionally through that and uh, getting to talk to him in person, just, you know, basically confirming what everyone always says. He's just such a good guy, um, easy to talk to, very knowledgeable about the game. And, uh, yeah, he was, he was excited to talk to me, and, and as I was to talk to him. Was there a key selling point uh, in, in deciding on Saskatchewan? Because I know there were other teams that were trying to get your services. Yeah, you know what? Uh, I think once, you know, it talks with Vancouver uh, came to a head and I, I knew what they were willing to do and the direction I felt like they were going in. And I started talking to other teams. Uh, there were definitely a few teams that were, very uh, interesting as far as opportunities and who I could go play with. But I think for me, the biggest selling point with Saskatchewan is just how good they are currently, how good I think they're going to be in the future. And for me, I have a lot of friends on that team already, mm-hmm. but, you know, getting to play on Team Canada with guys like Rubish and Corbio. And I think for myself, I, there's a lot I can still learn. I'm, I'm not going to say I've, I've, I know everything. I, I don't ever pretend that I do, but you know, getting to play with some of those people and getting to learn from some of the best players in the National Lacrosse League is something I just couldn't pass up. Was there ever a moment during this sort of COVID break where you thought, you know what, maybe I'm done? Uh, done lacrosse or? Yeah, yeah, just done playing. Oh, no. no, you no, always I mean, wanted to make I, it come back. Yeah. I mean, knock on wood, I've never had a major injury. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I work in a job where I'm able to stay in peak physical condition. Uh, I love the game. I, you know, if I ever didn't love what I do or, you know, things were, weren't manageable with my family or with work, then we would have a different conversation. But, yeah. I mean, I'm hungrier than I, I ever have been. I think I've worked harder this off season, having a lengthy off season, time to get healthy and time to really push myself physically. I, I feel better than I ever have. Um, you mentioned you've been injury-free uh, for the better part of your career. 
Um, let's kind of look back at that career. Let, let's go to 2010. Um, that first year, we were sort of together with the team in, in Everett, and how awesome that first year was winning that championship in 2010. What do you remember about those early days in your career? Uh, you know what? Uh, definitely it was a good learning experience for me, still having one more year left in junior and, and coming from you know, junior lacrosse where you're a big fish in a small pond and getting put with some of these players like Mike Grimes, Kyle Florence, and Curtis Hodgson. I just got to learn so much at a young age, and they were so welcoming. And I just tried to soak it all in, and, and we went, you know, they were a good team, and we ended up having a hot start that year. And, you know, it was just an unbelievable overall team with the goaltending from Tyler Richards to our offense that seemed to be unstoppable. So it was a very cool experience right off right off the bat. And then first four years, we went to the finals three times, and I thought mm-hmm. that was a big learning experience to see, you know, how those guys prepare for big games. And, you know, that doesn't really change from the regular season to the, the finals. Like, it's just it's a process. And learning to be a professional game in, game out, I think was a cool thing to learn right off the get-go and, and definitely try and carry some of those lessons and pass those along to some of the younger guys in the league. Um, everyone has a story about Chris Hall and a memory about Chris Hall. Um, what, what's maybe one of your favorites uh, about the Hall of Famers? You know what? Uh, there's there's so many sayings and so many quotes. Like For points of emphasis, I remember I'm just repeating things three times in a row. And What's next? Third, what's next? What's next? <laughs> you know, like they will come yeah, and he's cool. Yeah. feel the dreams in our final game against Toronto and the, you know, I I don't think he said a word to me outside of lacrosse until I was maybe three years on the team. Like, I didn't know if he hated me or if he loved me or what the deal was because, I mean, the man wouldn't really speak to me. But, I mean, he was just serious and, you know, he he was a tough nut to crack sometimes. But, you know, just underneath that art shell, he was such a good man and so knowledgeable, so passionate. And, I mean, I was lucky on the DN we had Artie Webster, who was just the most positive human being you can ever, you know, be coached by. So it was a great yin and yang. And, I mean – he was amazing and, you know, he'll be, he'll be missed by a lot of people. And I think what's cool and that's, you know, something as tragic as that happens, it's the stories and memories that live on. And, you know, he's a big part of my career up until this day. Like I did learn so much from him. You know, you're not superstitious. You're good. Like, don't, don't let that fool you when you're, you know, something goes wrong, your flights get delayed. He's like, you go out there and you still perform and you prepare the same way you would. So I don't know. There's just so many things you could go down the list and, Mm -hmm. And talk about him for for days here. Yeah, um, that that run when you guys went to three straight cups, uh, battling Toronto and battling Rochester. How much did you learn about yourself as a player um, playing at the top of your game against the top players in the league? Uh, you know what, I I really think that it it didn't really come down to anything different than what it was kind of leading up to that point. Like once you're in the game, it seems to be more. Um, you know, your instincts just take over. And as good as Colin Doyle was, when you're playing against him, you don't think of Colin Doyle, the the legend, the cross player. You just go up there and you do your job and you try and stop him for that 30 seconds. So I think seeing some of the players, you know, like Curtis Hodgson, someone I still lean on this day for advice and seeing the way he prepared for games and, you know, nothing really changed. You don't get too excited. You don't get too low. You just kind of have that even keel and you go out there and perform. Mm -hmm. When the team did make the move to Vancouver and you got to be a professional athlete in your hometown, how special of a moment was that? It was really cool. I mean, for for me, it was very fortunate that my parents, I think collectively between the two of them, they they missed one game each. Um, you know, they've I've had a lot of support from family and just coming to Vancouver and you know having my friends and family and wife and kids able to watch as much lacrosse as they have and and share something I'm very passionate about. I think that was very special to me, and especially because I grew up watching the Ravens, and that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of where the love of lacrosse started for me. It was with Oklahoma and the Vancouver lacrosse teams. Uh, to be a part of that and help grow lacrosse in the community in, in BC has been a tremendous opportunity. Did you kind of hope that they were going to go back to being the Ravens? Uh, you know what? I, I love I love the colors they picked and you know the jerseys and all that stuff, and I think they they've made a point of not wanting to – kind of associate with the stealth or with the Ravens. So it wasn't surprising when they, when they changed yeah. names. Um, I guess people ask this question all the time of Vancouver lacrosse people. How come the fans aren't as, you know, are, why aren't we selling out Rogers Arena for, for NLL games in Vancouver, you think? Why don't you sell hockey games when the Cubs yeah. are losing? Touche. It's, very, Touche. Uh, it's a very fickle sports market. There's lots of things to do in BC and, um, 
you know, I, I am a sports fan in Vancouver and, you know, I, sometimes we are all guilty of if they're not winning, you seem to pay a little bit less attention where, whereas if you're from somewhere in the States or maybe in the prairies, it's, you know, maybe your only attraction you have, you don't have a lot to choose from. So they seem to be a little more diehard. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned that this is probably the hardest you've worked o- over an off season. Um, how does the body feel going into a year when you haven't really played lacrosse in almost two? Uh, I've I've coached with the Warriors Academy for, for months leading up to this. I've put apparatuses in the backyard that I can shoot on every day. Um, you know, I go to the box. Being a shift worker, I can go to the box during the day and get my reps in, take my kids out to the field, do some running. I, I think the nice part about this is usually you're sore for a couple months after and you're you're trying to heal the body and the, the body's never been healthier. So going to the gym has been easy. Um, going to the box has been easy cause it's not as busy. And, you know, I think, you know, we're all pretty hungry to get out there, but for someone like me who knows he's a little bit older and has to work that much harder, I think it's just been you know, a little bit motivating. Uh, you mentioned having a lot of friends on that Saskatchewan team. Uh, there's that connection of Coquitlam and Saskatchewan and that Minto cup team in 2010 and the Whippy Warriors Minto team of 2011. How cool is it that those two teams have kind of combined now to, to really create a super team in the NLL? Yeah, I know it's it, those teams are unbelievably talented, and, and most teams that win at that level, you know, you probably have a number of people in the league that have played on Minto Cup winning teams. So I think that, you know, for me to know those players going into it made it a very comfortable feel. How excited are you for uh, the opening week in, in December and getting a training camp in November? You know what? I, I've already been talking to some of the guys personally on the group chats. Like it just feels like such a a great fit. Um, very excited to suit up for the rush, and I think that uh, the opening weekend in Halifax is going to be a lot of fun. I haven't played there yet, and I cannot wait to kick off our home opener in Saskatchewan. Um, I, I, this is the question that everyone asks them. They'll go back to a, a team that they played for. How weird will it be walking to Rogers and, and going right instead of left to the visitors' room? Uh, you know what? Uh, I, it doesn't really bother me. I mean, for me, uh, we play against each other in summer lacrosse a lot. I mean, I, I've, I've seen those guys, you know, in practice. I've seen them in games wearing other jerseys. I think you go out there and, you know, like we talked about, you're going to prepare for the game the same as you would anybody else. And, you know, maybe some emotions at the start, but uh, it's business as usual when you step on the floor. There's Jeff Creechway, man. Uh, I absolutely love your game and your compete level. Uh, selfishly, I kind of hope you would take the sunshine of Southern California, but uh, you can have the cold of uh, Saskatchewan all day long, buddy. Appreciate it. Congratulations on the new deal, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll see you soon, my man. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Dave. There he is, Matt Beers of the Saskatchewan Rush. That will take a lot of getting used to. But once again... Derek Keenan is able to pull some strings and make things happen. And instead of taking, you know, a step back each year, losing players, he seems to always take like a step and a half forward. Never really seems to lose ground. And with two picks in the first round at seven and eight, he's still going to be adding key pieces to the puzzle. Does he trade any of those picks? Does he keep them? Who does he go after? Like we talked about earlier with the roster that he is building, can he wait? Can he pick a kid that's going back to school and he won't have for a year? Because as I have mentioned a few times on this show, the window for the Saskatchewan rush is slowly closing. And it's only a matter of time before those Veteran guys that have been with the club club since day one in Saskatoon or even dating back to when they were still in Edmonton. Those guys are slowly going to be moving on to greener pastures. And not just because the snow keeps everything covered in Saskatchewan. So if they can go for it one more time, the biggest key to the puzzle now for the rush is getting Evan Kirk signed. And if they can do that, then they are definitely in a good spot. If they can't get Evan Kirk signed, that drastically hurts their chances. But if they can get Kirky under wraps, and that's pretty much the entire core of the team for the last four years that are back, 
you can definitely count Saskatchewan as being one of the top teams in the league this year as they try to go for their, what, ninth straight Western Division title. Unbelievable. Um, so congrats to Beersy on the new deal. Uh, I'm sure Saskatchewan fans will love him. It will be very weird when he comes back to Vancouver um, for his first game against his former club. Uh, some other deals that we kind of just haven't talked about yet. Again, not going to go over everybody. Again, if you want to see this, go to nll.com slash news slash transactions. Uh, Alex Pace gets a one-year deal with the Wings. Uh, Kate Dan Raphorse is an interesting signing by the Riptide as they sign in for two years. Um, he is an absolute monster outdoors in the field game, uh, and I'm very excited to see what he can do indoors. Nick Rose back with the Rock for one-year deal. Tor Reinholdt, one-year deal with the San Diego Seals. Um... Damon Edwards to the Riptide, again, there's a bit of a shocker. Uh, he has been a rock, other than the time he was with Boston, he has been a rock the whole time. Um, and I didn't ever think I'd see him leave. But he's off to New York, joining his good buddy Andrew Suter over there with the Riptide on a one-year deal. Jeremy Thompson leaving the rush, going to Panther City on a two-year deal. That had been a deal that had been rumored for a little while now, ever since Panther City kind of hopped on board. Um, so a new look for Gunner, uh, and I'm sure that he will be absolutely loved by all the fans down there in Fort Worth. Brock Sorensen coming off that ACL, or sorry, the Achilles injury that happened in the Man Cup back in 2019. Um, signs a three-year deal with the Rock, or sorry, with the Wings. Scott Carnegie back with the Mammoth and Delbs one year with the Roughnecks. And then just today, Thursday, maybe not even an hour ago, the Rock announced that they have signed TD Ireland. Ireland? Ireland? TD Ireland? TD Ireland? Still not quite sure. I've heard both. Um, they signed him to a one-year deal. And I, he is an absolutely phenomenal face-off man. There is no doubting that. Um, but with little to no box experience, the biggest question, excuse me, the biggest question for him will be how he can play on the defensive side of the ball. Because if he is a liability playing defense, his success at the faceoff dot doesn't have as much weight. Because the quote-unquote Fogo doesn't fly in the box game. Because there's not enough spots. You can't just play a man down the whole game and hope to be successful. Guys like Jake Withers, Tim Edwards, Trevor Baptiste to a bit of an extent. Jordan McIntosh is a heavy draw guy in the National Lacrosse League. Bobby Snyder. The top draw guys in the National Lacrosse League can be relied upon on the back end. You know, Trevor Baptiste has gotten better um, over the past few years as a defender and a consistent defender for the Wings. Uh, Joe Nardella is still learning it, but he is getting better on the defensive side of the ball. So if TD can find a way to quickly understand box defense and the communication and the switches and you know the defensive play style that the Rock are going to implement, that is drastically going to help his game. But if he cannot figure it out, and he's resigned to really only taking a draw and getting off the floor, his stock isn't as valuable. Which led sort of to a discussion in our lacrosse flash chat group of who sort of is that best all-round defender face-off guy. Because most defenders are D guys, right? There's not a lot of face-off guys that will just go and stay and play O. And aren't sort of on the defensive side of the ball. So, which guy would you want to have on your team and rely upon to take a draw and stay and play defense? 
I put a poll up on my Twitter account with four names. I think that's all I could add. Um, let me know what you think. Because it is a vital and valuable position. You have to be able to be responsible. And that's why you've seen sort of, like, Brad Cree's a decent draw guy. But he is one of the top defenders in the league. So he can make a loose ball out of any draw and still be able to stay in play. He may not win every one. But at least they can rely on him to take a draw and stay and play defense. Same with a guy like Dan Coates. Not the greatest draw guy, but he's going to muck a loose ball and create havoc and maybe come up with it. But if you lose that draw, he'll be right back in the back end playing top-notch steady defense. So who's your best? Who's the guy? Let me know at off the crossbar. On Twitter. Um, NCBS down in San Jose. First off, the U.S. Boxing Nationals, once again, a, a resounding success. Um, everybody that I've talked to uh, just had an absolute blast. And it always is. If you've never experienced the U.S. Boxing Nationals, I highly recommend it. It's so much fun. The smiles on the kids' faces is electric. Um you know, sure, there's some politics between parents and there's a few extra cocktails between the parents um, that kind of raise the tension at times. But overall, on the floor, it was awesome. Boys and girls divisions from peewee all the way up through high school, um, just incredible. But the NCBS, the National Collegiate Box Series, um, was off the hook, man. Like, we talk about the amount of Americans we're going to see joining the National Cross League in the next five years, thanks to what U.S. Boxer is doing at the collegiate level. It was on full display this weekend in San Jose. And no one's draft stock really went higher than Jake Govitz, but he's not draftable for another year because he's out at Delaware. Jack Hanna's stock went up, which was incredible. Kayla Mackey, the goalie, for the Royals, his stock went up. Um, Hunter Lemieux, who has spent some time with the Burlington Juniors playing for Upstate Armory, his stock went up. And so we are going to need to see more Americans in, in the NLL, and this is where they are going to get the most exposure, but also learn from the best of the best. And if you didn't watch any of the NCBS action over the weekend, again, uh, ncbs.tv, you can go back and watch all of the games. Um, first off was Jake Govett's one-hand, no-look, behind-the-back goal that should never have gone in. Um, he, he, I had a chance to talk with him and Moose Ryan. Why, oh, I did it again. Moose Winery. Uh, take note, everybody. It's Moose Winery, not Moose Winery. Um, that was... I, I was pronouncing it wrong. We all were pronouncing it wrong. It is Moose Winnery. Um, I had a chance to talk with Moose and Jake for the Seals podcast that will be debuting next week. Um, and he, he was telling me that he was just trying to put it on net. I actually don't even think he knew where the net was. But that was the goal of the tournament, and he did that so many times. And then you get to the championship game, and it was one of the best games I had seen. Like, I watched that Nanaimo-Victoria game one of the Island Finals, um, and they were literally trading goals the whole game. This game between the Armory and Royals was back and forth the entire night. I think the biggest was a three-goal run. But every time the Armory went up, the Royals would claw back. Armory would go up, the Royals would claw back. It was an amazing battle. And the dramatics was set up for Jake Govett in the final 30 seconds. They drew up a play. He got open. He took the shot. And as he had done all tournament long, he capitalized. And he scores with under 30 to go to tie it, sending the game to overtime. Setting the stage for Zach Snyder to score the overtime winner. Shout out Zach, who is still in high school. Goes to Western Reserve Academy. Uh, I had a bit of a spell there, as did my brother. And my nephew Hudson is actually leaving for WRA today. Um, if you are, sidebar, if you're looking for a high school in the States to send your kid to, 
maybe for a post-grad like grade 13 or to reclass and you want him to go to a well-respected boarding school that has an incredible lacrosse program, incredible education programs, and sends a lot of kids to the next level, please check out Western Reserve Academy in Hudson, Ohio. It is a phenomenal place, um, and they do so many great things, and they produce such great young men and women. I'm thoroughly excited for Hudson to go there, um, and I know my brother is too. He's My brother might be even more excited. Um, but anyway, sidebar over. Uh, Zach Snyder scores uh, the overtime winner. The bench goes crazy. Um, it was just an all-round phenomenal weekend, so shout out. Uh, to the Armory, I think it was their first year in the NCBS. Same with the Royals. Um, but it was just phenomenal across. So go back and watch it. Check it out. But again, the amount of talent that is going to be American in the NLL is going to increase because of events like this and because of the NCBS and U.S. Boxla and growing kids from Pee Wee all the way up. By the time some of those kids that are you know in their second or third year um, playing U.S. Boxla, by the time they're... 20, 21 years old, they'll have like 10 years of box experience. And they will be ready. And they will come into the NLL and make a difference. I cannot wait for it. Thomas Witte is already in the NLL and he still is looking to make a difference with the Rochester Nighthawks. Being an OJLL champion will definitely help that confidence. He and the St. Catharines Athletics took down the Brampton Excelsiors in the OJ final. Uh, again, another dramatic game. Down to the wire, a one-goaler, late. St. Catharines holds on, and the team that was supposed to host the Minto Cup gets to win an OJ title to end this wild, wild COVID year. We get into a bit of a debate over why the heck he hasn't had a garbage plate, but other than that, this is an absolutely phenomenal conversation, and the fact that he has a family wine is amazing. It's the captain of the St. Catharines Athletics, Thomas Whitty, right here on Off the Crossbar. Joined now by OJLL champ, St. Catharines Athletics and the Rochester Nighthawks, Thomas Whitty. Tommy, how are you, brother? I'm doing well, Teddy. Thanks for having me on. Uh, no worries, man. Uh, you're a busy guy. You're going on back in the bird. You're like probably on TSN and ESPN. You're a big deal right now in the lacrosse world. How is the championship hangover doing? You know, we've uh, we've had some fun back here in St. Catharines. Right after the game, we got ripped back to the arena, our home arena, the Jack Gaycliff, and uh, you know, we we had we had some fun, some celebration, and we've definitely been bringing the trophy around to a few local spots. Um, it would have been a whole lot better if this would have been the actual Minto you guys were supposed to host in St. Catharines, which everybody was building towards. But it's still a special moment for this whole group of kids on the, that St. Catharines team, especially, you know, the 21, 22-year-olds who are wrapping up their junior careers. But how special was this moment for you to be a part of this team and, and to win it all? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Normally, this is, you know, a stepping stone to something a little bit bigger. Um, you know, we, we missed out on our chance with the Minto hosting in uh, 2020, uh, but this was it. This was our, our main goal this year. This was what was in front of us. And um, I've been playing with a lot of these guys since I was, you know, 10 years old. And to win with them and to, to win with the last team I'll ever probably play with in St. Catharines, um, it, it means a lot. And I know my family's proud and uh, the city's proud. I've uh, had a message with the mayor and uh, oh, nice. yeah, every, everyone here is very supportive of us and happy to happy to see us bring it back home. Um, it, it's been a while since St. Catharines has won, won a title in the Ontario Junior and, and even the Minto, but how special is and how important is the athletics to St. Catharines? Yeah, we have a rich history, right? I, I'm not sure the exact um, inauguration of the team. I think it dates back, back to something like 1871, making it, I think, the oldest oh, wow. uh, running team in the in the oj and uh yeah it's it's got a rich history here there's a lot of players that came before me right i look at that trophy i think it was 1947 was the first time that st Catharines name was on there and i think there's probably 15 teams since that since 1947 it was 18 years since we last won it and um so i think i would have been a little boy right i would have been four <laughs> years old do you uh... so to say that my name and my, my team's on there it's really special 
do you remember growing up watching some of those teams, you know, like the, the Craig Cons and the Matt Vinces and the Stain Houses and the Billy D's. Do you remember going to those games as a youngster? Yeah, so those guys were always around and you know they're still involved. So, you know, mm-hmm. Mark Mark Steinhouse is actually got to play with his son this year. Um, so Mark was at the games and supporting us all the way through. Billy D and those boys, you know, they're they're huge supporters of us. And I did grow up not idolizing them, but looking up to them as leaders in this organization. So it's a big part of the culture. Uh, obviously, when you know the season was called off in 2020 there was a lot of heartbreak for everybody and and we all wanted to play at all levels when you got the word that you guys were going to be playing in this junior tournament um you know condensed schedule what were your initial thoughts yeah I almost broke down to be honest with you um it had been you know a year and a bit of of just uncertainty and and you know hearing different messages mixed messages about what's going to happen so when I found out I gave my dad a big hug and said you know we're going to get it done and we did. And yeah, that, that moment of we have a season, I reached out to probably 30 of the guys in St. Catharines and said, all right, boys, we're starting to run together. Um, get your masks, get everything so that we're safe. But um, let's get to work. Yeah. And was everybody kind of on the same page right away? Like, like yourself, as soon as you got that word, everyone was on board trying to get back into game shape and, and getting the sticks ready was it was everybody fully excited absolutely there's there's a few guys uh still away at school or doing their own thing you know not in st Catharines, um, but those that were here it was all in everybody was on board and it wasn't it wasn't hard to convince boys to get out to runs you know absolutely. just being each other again we're all friends right so yeah everyone was on board right off the hop how impressed were you with everything that the, that the OJLL and, and the track did to make this event possible, you know, with everything going on with COVID and keeping you guys safe and the protocols and that, how impressed were you with the behind the scenes work that went on? Yeah. When I uh, got to shake Grimes' hand and thank him for all the work that he'd done, it, it blew me away. You know, they, they created an atmosphere in there um, with limited numbers and it was a rock and arena, right? The, mm-hmm. the, the fans, the media that they were able to produce and the attention that they were able to get for lacrosse in Ontario, it's massive. And the NLL is definitely excited to see some of these players come out of it. So um, that exposure for these young players, especially in that Futures League, it's growing the game like crazy. And I was happy to be a part of it. Um, how did you think your team performed, you know, in the round robin leading up to the playoffs? Obviously, you guys hadn't been on the floor in a long time. And to get thrown into the fire, um, how impressed with, were you with how you guys stepped up? as you yeah, smile so, as you smile and chuckle <laughs> yeah you know we had a tough first weekend we, we went we went 2-0 and uh in our first day we were very happy with that result and then in the next day we we didn't do so well we lost two straight um back to back against six nations in oakville and after that it was do or die right the next weekend we had four more games we had to have a quick memory and and we did we we swept since then and you know, the resilience of that team and we put in a little bit more of a veteran presence in that second weekend. Some guys who had been on the team before who maybe got scratched, you know, that first weekend and, and we meshed as a team and that lineup carried us right through the championship. When you're in that final game and you guys have the lead late and, and you know, they're starting to come back and trying to cut into that lead and, and Brampton's trying to get some momentum as a leader of that group, what are you telling your, your guys in the final few minutes to, to hold the fort? Yeah, I have, a, I have a quote for you. So with like 40 seconds left, um, I think there was a timeout and we're, down, we're up by one goal. And we had just got scored on a, a, a backdoor pass. And, you know, Steve Toll, he can get pretty animated, right? He's, he's a, kind of an in-your-face guy. He had told us the play before, we're not getting scored on the back door. Lo and behold, we get scored on the back door. And um, so I'm there with the team. Steve's kind of, you know, losing it a bit. And I, I say to the boys, if, that, if you had told me that we'd be up one goal with 40 seconds left with a five-on-six opportunity to win the championship, I would take that any day of the week. And um, so, yeah, so after that moment, I brought the boys together and we had one more cheer. And we went out and did it. Cam McLeod had some big stops. And they, had, they did have an open net, missed the net, you know. Sometimes it takes a little bit of luck that you create yourself um, to get it done. And, and we did. And uh, the boys were, were ecstatic in that moment. And I was just as happy.
Um, you mentioned shaking uh, the godfather, the commissioner, uh, Mark Grimes' hand uh, after the game as you get the trophy. He also handled you a, a jug of milk. Um, was it sure uh, 2% or skim milk? Was it any good? I have no idea what uh, what percentage of milk fat it was, but it was delicious. You know, the uh, the dairy farmers of Ontario do a great job of what they do. I come from an agricultural background, so you know I love it. I, I think uh, that sponsorship and that partnership with them is great moving forward. And uh, yeah, it, it was a it definitely I wasn't expecting it. Um, it's it kind of lightened the mood too, right? You know, it brings a, a full circle of um you know why we're all here and and someone that you know isn't necessarily tied to lacrosse but uh wants to see us have an opportunity you know i'm all for it and yeah that milk tasted pretty good after winning uh championship milk is the best milk um you said you come from an agricultural background what's that stem from uh, so i i grew up uh i'm you know i'm i grew up on the farm i wasn't necessarily as involved as uh, my father was he grew up with four brothers um the witty family has been farming in St. Catharines since 1908. So 113 years of farming um, in, in St. Catharines. Uh, when my dad was a kid, there was some cattle and some horses and things like that. We're mainly grapes, grapes now. Um, my family has a, a small business in St. Catharines, a winery and a bakery um, where we, you know, grow grapes and we produce wine um, in, in Niagara. And, you know, it's in the LCBOs all across Ontario. And yeah, so uh, a little bit about my background and my family. Let's get a plug in. Where can we find more information on this delicious wine? Yeah, so if you go to uh, 13thstreetwinery.com, um, you can order online from there, get it delivered to your home, or you can go to any LCBO in Ontario. Um, we're currently not shipping to the States, I believe. Um, but yeah, anywhere in Ontario, you can go grab a, a bottle of the uh, Burger Blend White Red or Rosé. Nice. We're known for GMA and traditional method sparkling. Um, and then our bake, our uh, baked goods are are well known across Canada as the best butter tarts in Canada. Ah, wonderful! Is the wine available out here on the West Coast yet? I don't believe so. It won't be in the in the liquor stores out there. All right. Well, I'm coming to Ontario next week. I'll be sure to get myself uh, a bottle or two uh, to have in my hotel room. Um, so you go from the highs of winning, uh, you know, an OJ championship in your final year junior, and, and now you kind of have to reset and get ready for Rochester Nighthawk camp. Um, how excited are you to get back with the fellows down in Roch Vegas? Yeah, well, I'm super excited, right? It's been a long time coming. And uh, going into camp this time, my first time, I didn't have any St. Catharines guys there with me. Uh, but this time, Jeff Wittig, I, I'm pretty mm -hmm. sure you're dirty, dirty yeah. with him. Yes, sir. And uh, Dan Coates was recently signed nice. as well. And he was one of my mentors when I first got to junior A. So I'm you know, excited to go into camp with uh, two brothers to battle with. And uh, one of the guys on my team, Tyler Halls, uh, as well, was just signed with Rochester. Mm -hmm. So we'll be going to camp together and battling it out, as well as my roommate, Mitchell Ogilvie. So he's one of my best buddies. And so I, I got a lot of familiar faces going into camp with. So it'll be interesting, right? Some friendly competition is never a bad thing. Absolutely. Um, 2019, that rookie year, you played in all 12 games for, for the Nighthawks. What was your experience like uh, as a rookie in the league? And, you know, you got to go all the way up to San Diego for a game. You're traveling all across North America. What, what was your experience like as a rookie? Well, exactly that, right? I got to travel a little bit, but first experience was making the team and that veteran presence of Paul Dawson, Sean Allen, Curtis Knight, Curtis was a Guelph guy, so he knows kind of where I go to school and uh, the coaching situation there. So we got talking. He was actually a TA while I was at the University of Guelph. And Paul Dawson's a great guy, a great leader. And Shawnee's uh, he's a great guy too, right? A big energy guy, very welcoming, you know, opened his arms to me right away. And traveling around the country with them, you know, we didn't have a successful season as we, we had hoped. Um, but, you know, that'll fuel us for this year. And those guys are still around. So that uh, I'm definitely looking forward to playing with them again. One of the cool things about the world of lacrosse is just how tight families are and how tight teams are. But the amount of coaches that are coaching one team and coaching another team, you were just going up against Mike Hazen at the Brampton Junior Excelsior. Now you're going to be uh, coached by him. Is that a, a bit of a different feeling or is that just part of the excitement and the fun? Yeah, I loved every minute of it, to be honest. You know, we, we had played Brampton twice in the round robin. 
and we beat them twice. Um, so, you know, we had some experience playing against Hazer and that team, and it's pretty hard to beat a team three times in a row. Mm -hmm. um, so going into that game, we knew what was ahead of us, and Hazer was a great coach. You know, you got Pat O'Toole on that bench as well, and uh, Dylan Evans, a player mm -hmm. that I had played with. And, you know, all three of those guys I have a lot of respect for, and, you know, I knew it was going to be a battle. We had beat them in low-scoring games uh, the first two times, then they added five minutes to each period for the finals. And Hazer loves to run and gun when he can, and, you know, Every time we scored, it seemed they had an answer. And, you know, part of that is chalked up to Hazer and the, the great coaching staff of Brampton. At the end of the day, St. Catharines, you know, we, we pulled through. But, you got, uh, yeah, you definitely got playing against rights, experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, how many uh, garbage plates have you had so far in your time in Rochester? What's that? How many garbage, garbage plates? Plate? Yeah. They haven't introduced you to garbage, garbage plates plate. yet down you there? Might you might have to you might have to uh, enlighten me on what that means wow. okay so there's a place called mark hots and nick tahoe's um and it's basically like franks and beans french fries cheeseburger patties all piled into one it's the greatest wow. 2 a.m meal you will find and i'm very upset that paulie and sean have never taken you guys for garbage plates even more upset that the Nighthawk fans haven't brought you guys like 3 a.m. garbage plates. Because when I was there, um, that used to be the thing. We'd play our game. We'd go to the hotel across the street and a bunch of the fans would take our orders. And so we'd all go out partying. And then when we come back to the hotel, we'd have garbage plates sitting at our doors. So, um, yes, when you go on back to the bird, make sure you yell at Paul um, and tell him you want a tour for a garbage plate um, and I'm, that I'm very upset about that. You'll have to. You have my number now, hey, Teddy. Yeah, so yeah. send me send me those restaurants. And, you know, I got you, buddy. I'll, I'll give it. To, I'll give it to Polly, but I'll take some ownership on myself to make sure I go out and, uh, with a few fans, maybe. And uh, there you show go. Me and I'm sure you're you're excited to get the vinyl again and, and throw down. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> great time. Always a great time. Uh, Tom, I, I'm super happy for you, man. Uh, like I said, I know it's been a busy week and a very exciting week and a long, tiring week. Uh, give yourself a bit of rest. And uh, let the body feel good with that Dairy Farmers of Ontario milk. And congratulations on being an Ontario champion, my man. I appreciate it, Teddy. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. I am thoroughly frustrated with the veterans on the Rochester Nighthawks that never took Thomas Witte to Nick Tahoe's or Mark's Hots for a garbage plate. That is ridiculous and absurd. Okay, maybe I had one too many and that's why I didn't play a lot because I was called Husky. True story. Um, someone said to me, you can't play for the Nighthawks. You're too Husky. End quote. I was demoralized. <laughs> but truth be told, I, I, my first two years... Didn't exactly take things so seriously. I, I ate a lot. I drank a lot. I was living the life a lot. Um, and that probably resulted in, in why Paul Day didn't play me a lot. However, if you are ever in Rochester and you need a late, 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 late night meal, or maybe you need some grease in the morning to... Cure a late, late, late night drink. Get yourself a garbage plate. It is essentially your choice of hamburger, hot dog, cheeseburger, um, chicken tenders, fried ham, fish fry, whatever. Like some sort of good greasy protein. And then you can top it or layer it with home fries, french fries, mac salad, baked beans, add on onions and mustard. They pour a little of the baking fat on top. It is just the grossest, greasiest, best food ever. And like I said, when I was in Rochester, literally, we would go from the arena to the hotel, drop all our stuff off, or me and Turner and the boys would walk down to our place and drop all our stuff off, but have drinks in the hotel bar. And before we would go out, the super fans, uh, Nabber, Kayhawk, Cruz, and Gonzo, all those guys, would literally take our orders for garbage plates. And we would go out and party. We'd come back at whatever time in the morning and they would leave the garbage plates by our door. Absolute legend move. 
and definitely, definitely why I got a little fat. Um, so sh shout out to Tom, uh, to Thomas Woody. Um, he'll have a garbage plate. I guarantee it. Um, but he'll also have a lot more championships in his future. If he continues to be as positive a role model, um, as, as poised as a leader, um, and as talented as a player uh, as he was over the past few days with the athletics and his final game is a junior lacrosse player. Uh, the future is very bright. I cannot wait to see what is next for him. Um, and it'll all start with training camp with the Nighthawks in a couple of months. So thanks to Thomas Witte. Um, if you can find his wine, let me know. Uh, I would love to try it. Um, like I said, I'm going to be in Ontario next week for the Survivor's Cup. Um, so I'm going to try and find it while I'm out there in Cornwall. Um, and if I can, I will definitely give a full review. So if you are in the Cornwall area, Aquasasne area, I, I'm not too sure what else is around Ottawa a bit, but if you are in the area starting on Wednesday, the Survivor's Cup, it's a five-team tournament that starts on Wednesday. You've got the Aquasasne Indians, Tri-Nations, Nepean Knights, Mimico Mountaineers, and the Orangeville Northmen. Like I said, Wednesday's the first game. There's two games on Thursday, a full slate of games on Friday, a jam-packed Saturday, and then two games on Sunday, the bronze and the gold game on Sunday. Intermixed in all that is the Hickory Classic. Hold on. So the Survivor's Cup is like a U19 showcase tournament um, that is going on and a great opportunity for some of these kids to get noticed, whether it's for college or um, maybe the odd kid that might be in the NLL draft. But for the most part, it's just another chance to get these kids out, playing the game, and to give a little bit back to the communities and support um, some people that are going through some tough times. But the Hickory Classic... Um, I posted about this on Twitter the other day. It's going to be between the Snake Island Muskies and the Aquasasne Bucks. But it is going to be a throwback game. No plastic sticks. No titanium shafts. No offense defense. You got to play both ways. You got to use a wooden stick. Now, there were the obvious jokes that were being made by people that have felt the wrath of a wooden stick being wielded by someone that only needed it for the purpose of hurting you and chopping you on every open space of body. I don't think that's going to happen because one, this is going to be a traditional sort of medicine game. Um, but it's also, you know, a game to recognize the heritage of lacrosse. Maybe I'm wrong. But I kind of think this is just going to be like an exhibition-y showcase type. Uh, and the fellows aren't going to start two-hand chopping guys. Maybe I'm wrong. But I kind of think I'm more on the other side of being right. But I cannot wait. Jake Elliott and myself will be calling the games. They will be brought to you by JVI. So be able to watch them streamed online. Um, but shout out to Josh Sanderson and everybody that's putting this on and for thinking about Jake and myself and getting us out there to broadcast this. Um, I'm super looking forward to it. I've never been out there, uh, in talking to people. It's just a phenomenal part of the country. I cannot wait to see Turtle Island. I cannot wait to be on the traditional Mohawk territory land, um, just to experience it all and feel the vibration of the land and take it all in. Uh, it's something that I've never experienced and I truly am thankful for this opportunity and I cannot wait to get out there and just see it live and in person. The one thing I'm not looking forward to is I heard the Turtle Dome is an absolute sweat box um, and anybody that knows Jake Elliott and myself, we are both heavy sweaters. Uh, so we're going to have a lot of fans, um, extra towels, maybe keep our feet in some cold pots of water. Um, but other than that, it's just going to be a wicked four or five days of lacrosse um, out in Cornwall, Ontario. So we won't be doing a show next week because I'll just be busy with that. The week after that is the draft. As I said, uh, I'll be emceeing the Hall of Fame on the Friday and then part of the draft broadcast on Saturday. So we probably won't have a show next the week after that as well. So we might be on a two-week hiatus uh, and then we'll pick things up right back where we started after the draft and 
That way we'll kind of have a clear picture of how things are looking leading to camp. We'll break the draft down. We'll break the Hall of Fame down. We'll break everything down um, and just kind of start ramping things up to NLL training camps. That'll do it for another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, Instagram, OTCB podcast. Or email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Thanks to Matt Beers. Thanks to Thomas Witte. And as always, thanks to you, the loyal listener, for tuning in right here to the Off the Crossbar podcast. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.